what a what a big need that is right now. It's a wonderful time to be a follower of Jesus Christ and um, a wonderful time to minister and to encourage uh, people that we see around us all the time. And this passage in Philippians 2 is uh, kind of that way. It talks about how we can uh, be a great encouragement to others, and it calls on us uh, to do exactly that. As we've been saying all along in these studies from the book of Philippians, Paul is writing from jail, likely uh, in that same environment that we find him in. Uh, at the end of the uh, book of Acts, in Acts 28, after that fun trip in Acts 27, that voyage across the Mediterranean during a storm, uh, and, um, and then finally ending up in Rome under house arrest, basically, with some freedom and able to meet with people and, and preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And what a blessing I know that was uh, to Paul. And uh, we're... Uh, glad to be able to to share his experience uh, through his writings, those prison epistles as we call them, Galatians, uh, or not Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. And one of those we've been talking about in this study um, from Philippians, and uh, today we're going to be in chapter two. And it's a fun chapter. Um, and it brings back some memories for me, and likely will for you as well. The popular television show, American Idol, and America's Got Talent and others are certainly not the first attempt at capitalizing on the search for the new next great talent. Um, the next star, if you will. Joyce and I are big American Idol fans, and in the year of a pandemic, some of our favorite TV shows have kind of been uh, cast aside, And uh, but that's okay. Uh, if that's the worst our life gets, that's pretty great. Uh, but we, we are fans of American Idol. We go all the way back to the uh, time of Kelly Clarkson, the incredible, amazing Kelly Clarkson, winning the very first one and, and so deservedly so and becoming the superstar that she has been for years and others through the years. Joyce's favorite, uh, likely Chris Daughtry, who wasn't even a winner, should have won, but wasn't a winner. And uh, Carrie Underwood, of course, a great favorite of ours. And so, so very many others that we've had fun following uh, through uh, the years, even uh, one Janelle Arthur, who is a member of the Churches of Christ in Tennessee, she was on and uh, didn't win either, but she did a, a really great job. Um, uh, but that's one of our favorite shows, American Idol. And uh, some of you go back a lot further than that on shows like that. In the 1930s, radio listeners, before TV was popular and around, radio listeners in the 1930s enjoyed the original Amateur Hour, uh, which in the 1940s was brought to television. And even though he wasn't the original uh, host when uh, they were on the radio, he became the host for years and years and is the one that most people identify with the original Amateur Hour. Do you remember his name? Some of you do, and perhaps you're willing to admit it, but it was the uh, Ted Mack Original Amateur Hour. Ted Mack was the host. The official title is the Original Amateur Hour, and he was there for much of the time uh, that that uh, show was around. Uh, of course, the uh, 1980s uh, brought shows that were also predecessors to shows like American Idol and America's Got Talent. Um, such as Star Search and You Can Be a Star. 
And that last one was one of uh, one that we watched occasionally when it was on, had a little fun with our friends talking about the title, You Can Be a Star. Uh, that'll bring back some memories to a few of you, perhaps. Um, but that was, uh, you know, that's something they tied into something that people really want. And that's to be famous, to be a star, to be somebody whose name is well known in households that perhaps you haven't even met or will never meet. That's what it means to be a star in this country and in a worldly term. Somebody that's well known, somebody that's famous, perhaps as the saying goes, someone that's rich and famous. Um, but greatness is redefined by Jesus Christ. And we talked about that in our uh, worship assembly this morning at our West Irwin Church of Christ family with our group that was meeting in person, a, a good crowd, and also those meeting online. And we were able to uh, appoint new deacons. We have uh, 13 wonderful men that serve now and their families, and we added five more uh, today. Great folks that are already serving in the areas that they are signing up to help lead. And so it was a, it was a great day, a great, a great blessing uh, for us. And, and during that time, of course, we talked about what it means to serve and what it means to be great and how Jesus uh, kind of turned that around on everyone. Um, and just as he redefined that, he redefines what it means to be a star. One of the passages we looked at this morning was that great passage from Matthew 20. I love it so much. James and John and their mother come before Jesus and they ask him, uh, hey, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come in your kingdom? And as I said this morning, later on, the disciples, all of them are upset with those two. And I think it's because they really wanted to do that, too. And they didn't. Uh, but Jesus, of course, talks to all of them together and he tells them, look, that's, that's not how we measure greatness in the kingdom of God. He says, if you want to be great, you have to become the servant. Uh, if you want to be first, then you have to put yourself last, because that's what I've done. Uh, when he did it when he left heaven and was born uh, uh, an infant, a human being, uh, raised in a family that did not have a lot, but that uh, uh, was a great environment for him uh, to be raised as a child. And then as a young adult and at age 30 or so, striking out to uh, share uh, about the kingdom of God that was at hand and uh, and that had come. And so now he uh, uh, he has given himself on the cross, the ultimate act of service. And that's what he said. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, and then we, of course, go to our passage in Philippians chapter two, because in that passage, he also talks about what it means to uh, be great. And he reminds us of his sacrifice, uh, Paul does, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He tells us that we should be considerate and respectful and loving towards one another, self-sacrificing for the sake of others. And then he lists that great example, the greatest illustration ever, as I've called it, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, where he says, have this attitude, this mindset uh, that was also in Christ Jesus, uh, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but emptied himself, uh, made himself nothing. And he goes on and talks about how he became not just human, but uh, the servant of humans and how he endured death, not just any death, 
but death on a cross. And then God exalted him. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't see that day today. We don't see that time right now. And so because of that, we serve in a world that has its values uh, upside down in many ways. And so God talks to us and calls us to a life of faithfulness. And the way he does that is by reminding us of what it means uh, to serve and what it means to live faithfully. And so in Philippians 2, right after that passage, the passage we looked at last week in verses 12 and 13, uh, the apostle says this, Therefore, based on what we just said, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation doesn't mean we do stuff so that we can deserve it, but rather it means continue to be what God wants you to be. Bring it to completion. See it through to the end. And he makes it very clear in the the second verse we read just now, um, verse 13, when he says, it is God who is working in you to accomplish his will. And so that's what that's what we do. And, and a part of his will is for us to be stars, stars that shine just like the stars in the universe. Um, but how does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen the way the world measures it. It happens in the way of the cross. The Apostle Paul calls on all Christians to be a star, each one of us, but in a much different sense. And so these verses in Philippians 2 verses 14 through 18, I'd like to to share with you in two different parts. And um, the first part is the part that uh, calls us to be, to live our lives shining like stars. Philippians 2 verses 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like, shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. (laughs) That's a great and wonderful passage, and it calls us to shine like stars, but what exactly does that mean? Uh, Well, again, I think we go back to the attitude, and that's what he affirms here in this passage. And so we remember those words in the first 11 verses of Philippians 2 and verses 12 and 13 that call us to continue to live that way, the way of the cross, uh, the way of Christ. Just as he emptied himself and gave himself up for the sake of others, including us, we also are called to do the same thing. But just like Jesus, we are called upon to sacrifice with great joy. To do that with an attitude of of gladness in our heart, to be able to share the love of Christ who did so much for us, uh, to share that love with others. Paul speaks of those same things in several passages throughout the, the scriptures that he wrote. And we read it throughout the New Testament that this is how we're to live. This is how we're to treat each other in passages like Ephesians 4 and like uh, Romans chapters 12 through 15, really, uh, that call us to live a life that is a living sacrifice for the sake of others. Uh, Much of 1 Corinthians is written to the church there at Corinth in modern-day Greece 
calling on them to serve and to love others and to be considerate and to live. What Paul says here in this passage is that that's how we shine like stars. And it's interesting because he kind of quotes an Old Testament passage and kind of puts a different spin on it. Uh, Again, reading in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And then this quote in the NIV, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And if you chase down the footnote, that's right out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in that passage, it's the song of Moses. It's Moses talking to the children of Israel uh, before he is uh, before he climbs up the mountain and never never to return at the end of his life, uh, and and it's interesting how how that happens because in in Deuteronomy 32 Moses is talking about those who had died in the wilderness. He's talking about those who had grumbled and complained and whined the whole time. Uh, let's go back to Egypt. We didn't bargain for this. Why do we have to have this manna? Why do we have to get water from a rock? In Egypt, we had things so much better. And as we remember those years, those 40 years in the desert, we're reminded that only two from that time actually made it across the Jordan and into the promised land. And that was Joshua and Caleb, the two men who were sent out by Moses as spies to the 12. And yet they came back saying, Yeah, it's going to be tough, but we have God on our side. We can do this. And the other 10 said, no, 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 we can't. And so they ended up being in the wilderness, wandering, led by Moses, of course, uh, for 40 years, one year for each day that the spies had been in Canaan and, uh, and spying out the land. Well, Paul reaches back to that time, that time of grumbling, that time of complaining, that time of whining. I remember when our daughter Amy was playing softball at Arlington High School years ago. Um, She uh, was with the softball team one year. She was the manager and practiced and worked out with the girls and, and did that. But their coach was really good and really funny. And he had a saying when they would start griping and complaining and whining about how tough it was. He would just say, you want some cheese with that wine? <laughs> Love that statement. Um, well, Paul is saying, hey, look, stop your whining. Don't do this in a complaining way. Don't do this in a griping way, in a bitter way. And and he says, don't live your life like that. Don't live your life focused on the things you don't have. Don't live your life focused on the things that could be better. But rather, focus on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, then we'll be able to do what verse 14 says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And when you go back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, you realize that it says just the opposite of that as it describes the children of Israel who grumbled and complained all the time that they were in that wilderness, even though God was taking care of them. And what Deuteronomy 32, verse 5 says is that they were not his children. They were not his children, but rather they were warped. They were a warped and crooked generation. Paul tells us, don't be like that. Don't be a warped and crooked generation, but rather be children of God. And just like Jesus said, God loves even his enemies, not just his friends. And if we do that, then we are children of God. We are like our father. If we tell the truth rather than lie and be like Satan, the father of lies. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, even our enemies 
Uh, here it says that if we do things without grumbling and complaining, then we're going to be children of God. Then we're not going to be like this warped and crooked generation that we see all around us. Um, and so he goes on and he talks about holding on uh, to the word of life or holding out the word of life. Uh, it can be translated either way, uh, as he says, uh, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Verse 16, is it hold out or hold on to? Well, obviously, Scripture calls us to do both. It calls us to hold it fast and hold on to it within ourselves. But it also tells us to hold it out, to hold forth, to share it uh, with others. And that is the testimony of the saved. That's being witnesses uh, that Jesus told us to be right before he ascended in Acts 1 verse 8. Uh, that's when we are out making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and continuing to teach them and help them to grow just like we all need to do uh, until the day Jesus returns, knowing that he will be with us to the very end, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And in the same way, that great passage in 1 Peter 3 that talks to us about uh, being willing to be considerate and loving and sharing with those who are in need. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But this is the passage that talks about shining like stars. When we do that, when we don't complain, when we aren't grumbling, when we aren't that warped and crooked generation, but rather are doing things with gratitude and with joy. Scripture says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Uh, and and the stars shine brightest on a dark night. If you're in the city, it's hard to see them. But when you're looking up at the sky and there's not a bunch of city lights around or you're able to be in a place where it's dark all around you and it's a clear night, you look up and you see those stars shining like crazy. And what Paul says here is that when we act this way, when we hold forth, the word of life in this generation, in the people around us, that's when we shine like stars because of the great difference that that we have and and the darkness all around us, this crooked and warped generation because of the wonderful way of of revealing the light of the world. That is Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, Jesus calls us, as you know, in Matthew five to be the light of the world. Uh, and, and that's what he calls us to do. And we see that it's because of this great difference around us uh, as to why and how uh, this happens. And and I always think of First Peter chapter two and uh, chapter three and chapter four, as we talk about this great difference between ourselves and those all around us that we live with, that we work with, that we're neighbors with, that we go to school with, that that are just a part of our lives all around us. And, and they don't view being stars like Jesus does. They don't, they don't see it as someone who is willing to go the second mile. They don't see it as someone who is willing to do extra and to sacrifice for the sake of others, but rather they see it as the person who is served by others, not the person who is the servant. Jesus, again, turns that around. And he says, you want to shine like stars in the, in the midst of this crooked generation? Uh, then the way you do that is the way Joshua and Caleb did it when they were surrounded by their generation of, of people who were not faithful, uh, people who were grumbling, people who were complaining. And, and so Paul reaches back to that time and he says, you are different. And Peter does the same thing. 
in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, he reminds them of this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, verse 11 of 1 Peter 2, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul, wage war against your soul. Live, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about our relationship with the civil authorities, something that he reminds the Philippians of in chapter 3, that we, our citizenship is in heaven to this Roman colony in Philippi. And in verse uh, 13, he says, submit yourselves. And then he says in verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's how we make our witness, first of all. Sometimes with words, yes. And he's going to talk about that in chapter 3. Uh, he says, you know, to those godly women who serve in families and in homes, in, in their faithful, faithful way, humbly, um, faithfully. He says, you know, that, that husband, he may be won over without you saying a word if your life begins that way first. It doesn't always happen, and it's tragic uh, when it doesn't, but sometimes it can. And then there comes a time, he talks about in verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, when maybe we can put in a good word for Jesus, uh, as some have said. And that's where we read in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let's not forget that part. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we have the opportunity, we put in a good word for Jesus. When we have the opportunity and the difference between how we're living and others are living is so great that someone asks us, why do you have such hope? How can you live with hope? How can your life shine so brightly in this dark, dark world? That's when we tell them, well, it's because of Jesus Christ. He's made a difference in my life and he can make a difference in yours. And I would love to tell you more about it. We have to, first of all, be living with that hope, not grumbling and complaining in the midst of a crooked and perverse and, and warped generation where we're just like they are. Uh, but rather like stars shining on a dark night, being able to be clearly seen because of the difference in our lives, because of the difference in our attitude, because of the difference in our spirit, because we live a life of service, but we live a life of service in joy and gratitude, not in, crum in grumbling and complaining. And that's different. And again, Paul, uh, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 reminds them of their the difference between the way they live and the way the generation around them lives. He says in 1 Peter 4 verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
As a result, they, the crooked generation around us, do not live the rest of their earthly lives uh, for human desires. That's actually us, but rather for the will of God. Those around us in this crooked and warped generation, that's exactly how they live for human desires. They live selfishly, and when they don't get their way, they grumble and complain. Not so with you. Paul says, and Peter says here as well, we live for the will of God. Verse 3 of 1 Peter 4, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery or sexual immorality, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised, 1 Peter 4, 4, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter says, hey, they're surprised at the way you live they, because it's so different. They, they don't understand how you can be such a servant with a different attitude, how you can live such a moral life and not be arrogant or proud about it, but can hold on to your humility as well. They're surprised that you can live with hope. And sometime they may just ask us about it. And when they do, Peter says, be ready to do that. Be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness, consideration, respect, and love. Absolutely. Do it humbly. But be ready to answer that question when it comes. Well, we go back to our verse in Philippians chapter 2, and we look at the next part. That's verses 14 through seven through 16 of Philippians 2, shining like stars. You can be a star, but not the way the world measures it. You can be a star by living faithfully with joy, serving others, being willing to sacrifice, and be more concerned with others than yourselves, just as he has said all along through this second chapter of Philippians. And then in verse 17 and 18, that leads to a life of sacrifice. But again, not a life of, of, of complaining and whining and griping like the Israelites did in the wilderness all that time, but rather being different from the crooked and warped generation around us because we are children of God. And so verses 17 and 18 of Philippians 2 but And Paul writes again, remember, he's writing from jail. <clears throat> he says this, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This reminds us of chapter one. Uh, when Paul is talking to them and, and he's writing from jail and, and he talks about the motives of the people around him. And he says there, there are many people that are actually preaching Christ, some from pure motives, some from impure motives. Some are preaching Christ out there just so that I, it can be worse for me in here. They're thinking that if they name the name of Jesus outside of where I am under house arrest, that it will cause the guards to have less patience and, and mercy towards me. But there are others who are preaching Christ out of pure motives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lost. And he says, I, I'm, I'm OK either way. I'll let God take care of the motives. And I'm just glad that Christ's name is being put out there 
uh, we should have that attitude as well. And so he tells them that he kind of goes back to that here uh, in verse 17 when he says, if I'm being poured out like a drink offering and remember the Jews, they would have a, 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 a liquid and they would just pour it out on the ground at certain times. And they were willing to give up. David, King David did that one time when he was so impressed with some of his soldiers who risked their lives to bring him back a special drink of water. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He sacrificed it because those men had sacrificed so much for him. Well, Paul tells us the same way. He says, look, I may be poured out like a drink offering, but that's okay. If that's the Lord's will, I'm ready for whatever that is. But he says, I don't want you to be sad. I don't want you to grieve and to mourn for me. He says, I, I'm glad. And I rejoice with you that good things are happening for you, even if it means trouble for me. And so he says in verse 18, so you, sh you too should be glad and rejoice uh, with me. We are motivated, he says, by joy, not by selfishness and not by passive aggression. And so he says, look, do good things because you want to do good things out of a sense of gratitude and joy. Don't do things to manipulate. Don't do things to be passive aggressive and try to get your way by suffering. Uh, that's not what it's all about. Uh, I, I, I think of the movie Bye Bye Birdie and Dick Van Dyke's character and his mother, who is so fun through the whole movie. And as she is uh, complaining about trying to get sympathy from her son, she says, I think I may have, be having a heart attack. And she says, actually, I only have half a heart. A mother doesn't need a whole heart. And oh, boy, it, that's the kind of attitude that some might have uh, when they look at the things that they have sacrificed, the things that they have given up, the times when they didn't get their way, Paul says, no, 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 not, not with you. That's the crooked and warped generation, the selfish generation that's all around you. That's how they act. Paul says, do that gladly. Do that with joy. Do that with gratitude, because that's what Jesus did for us. He emptied himself for us long before we were given that opportunity. He left heaven. He became a human. He became a servant. He gave his life on the cross for us. And so we can certainly do that. We're motivated by joy, not selfishness, uh, just as Jesus was. The writer of Hebrews would come back to that in chapter 13, as it talks about how Jesus was motivated by the joy set before him and then gave up his life, scorning the shame that would come from being a criminal, from being uh, convicted uh, by the court of men, from being put to death as uh, a curse from God on the cross. Uh, he did that out of a sense of joy and welcomed it uh, as the will of God. He spoke in prayer to God about what his feelings were in the Garden of Gethsemane. But just as our wonderful friend and my co-worker, David Carter, shared this morning as we were around the table together partaking of the Lord's Supper, Jesus did it in an obedient way, and he did it in a joyful way, and we do too. It results in joy, not in guilt, not in resentment. And that's when we shine like stars in the midst of, of a generation that doesn't understand that, that doesn't ever see that. But boy, when they do, it really stands out. And that's when we truly are the light of the world. For stars uh, that we might see in Hollywood or on the movies or as celebrities in the music industry or sports industry or even in the political world, for stars, with their fame comes responsibility. Like it or not, they are considered role models 
by those who follow them. And we've all heard many of them say, hey, I didn't ask to be a role model. I don't think anybody should look to my life, try to be like me. Well, you don't get to make that choice. Other people make the choice of whether they're going to look at your life and decide if you're a star or not. They look at your life and decide if you're someone that they want to try to imitate. That's not your choice. That's their choice. Your choice, however, is whether or not that's going to be a good example or a poor example, whether that's going to be someone who is selfish and whining and complaining and bitter like the crooked and warped generation around you, or if it's going to be somebody that shines like a star in the midst of that dark, dark environment where they approach things differently and they approach things the way Jesus did. Paul says that we should welcome that responsibility. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's what we're to do as well. That's what stars do. They have an impact. They have an influence. They share their light with all who would see. Like the apostle, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We are to live in such a way that others do the same as they follow after us. And when we do that, when we live with joy and with gratitude and with faithfulness and with humility and with love for our great Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and for our neighbor that's all around us needing to see what a good example and a good life looks like, that's when we shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and warped generation. I pray that that's how you will live your life each day this week.